Cool. Well, I know it's cool to sit in the back of the bus, but feel free to move forward if you want. <laughs> oh, man. Um, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I realized that the message I had prepared was only for the first half of it, so I studied the rest of it and put it all together in one because I only have a couple more weeks with you guys. Well, that's the plan anyway. And uh, I want to make sure we get through all of it. So we might pack in a lot into this message, but we'll see how it goes. First Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, and the series is called Approved by God. And this message tonight is where we're going to get that verse that says Approved by God. Um, we saw on Sunday that Thessalonians was a city back in the day, and it still is, Salonica. It was a church started by Paul, Silvanus, or Silas. And Timothy it was a church that was planted, planted fairly quickly, and it grew, and it was healthy, and the word went out from there. And this church had faith. And I don't know if it's in these notes, but there's a verse that the Lord has been pounding to me lately. Um, Will the Son of Man find faith on earth when he returns? It's in Luke. But it's really like, man, will he find faith? Will he find faith? And how much of my life, how much of our lives is really lived by faith. Like when we think about it, we get down to it, we begin to peel the layers and dig through the trash in our hearts and we go, well, am I really living anything by faith? (laughs) You know, if Jesus said a little bit of faith the size of mustard seed can move a mountain and I'm struggling with, you know, moving my O&R bill, you know, uh, I wonder how much of my life really is lived by faith. So, um, but really this church had faith and that's what matters, guys. You know, nothing else matters. Riches, a building, Anything else doesn't matter. It's do we have faith? And where is our faith and trust been in? But last time we saw election to resurrection by the gospel, that we saw that we're elected, but we chose it. But it's all towards new life, towards heaven. Um, and that's real resurrection. It's having brand new life, resurrected life, that's going to live forever. We saw about being, being a follower eventually becomes an example. That to be a good example, you need to be a good follower. And I ask tonight, before we start, who do you follow? Who do you follow? Who do I follow? And where would we go for them? You know, my wife doesn't have too much of a choice. You know, if I move to California, she's probably going to come with me. (laughs) Alaska, maybe not. (laughs) Um, Well, maybe Alaska. She'd rather live on a homestead than in a city. Um, You know, I I have that ideal dream, but then it's like I did construction for a week, and I, you know, these are computer hands, so manual labor, so... (laughs) You know, it's, it's good, but I'm just, I'm too much of a weakling. But really, where would we go for them? You know, when you love someone, you'd probably travel to the ends of the earth. You know, when I hear about a young girl moving somewhere, I go, is there a guy? And they go, yes. And I go, I knew it. And they go, no. I go, are you sure? Because <laughs> usually that's the case. Love will get us to go long distances. So who do we follow and where would we go for them? And I wonder, is there a love attachment there? And we're going to pick it up. In verse 1 of chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians. But before, let's ask God one more time to bless our study. So Lord, thank you for, God, that you're here with us and that you're real. And God, we can trust you. And more than that, Lord, you love us. You're not absentee, you're not an absentee landlord. You love us and you want to hold us close. So God, I pray you do that tonight. And uh, help us, God, to follow you to the ends of the earth. And God, to, to heaven when you return. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to read a whopping one verse to start. 2 verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not 
in vain. Paul talked about coming to them and that uh, what manner of uh, entry they had there. But that their coming to them was not in vain. You know, I've been reading Ecclesiastes lately, just finished this morning, and Solomon's like, everything's vain, man. <laughs> Nothing matters. It's all empty. And Paul says that their coming was not empty. And I think it's interesting that this word coming can be translated as entrance. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our entrance to you was not in vain. You know, does our conduct provide an entrance, an open door for the gospel? You know, the Bible says that if a man wants friends, he himself must be friendly. So if we don't have any friends, are we not being friendly? Have we not opened the doors by being friendly? But Proverbs 18.16 says, A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. You know, I can say that lately, that my gift, you know, physical gift of being able to program and do graphic design and basically play on a computer has brought me before great men. That this gift and talent that God has given me you know, I've been able to interview with people that are really pretty big time. And it's really kind of interesting and humbling to, you know, go in and, you know, be like, oh, yeah, I can do this stuff. And these people are very accomplished and very educated and very well off. But that's because the, the Bible is true. Our gifts, they make room for us. You know, if you're talented in something, you know, whether it's a CPA or a football player or whatever it is, probably that's going to be the best job for you but it's going to make room for you. You know, you're going to have open doors. You know, people are going to want you to come do work for them if you're a skilled craftsman or if you're good at what you do. And the same goes for the gospel. You know, he says that their coming was not in vain. And this word vain is kinos. means empty, vain, devoid of truth, empty-handed, without a gift. I think that's a great picture. Empty-handed, without a gift. Proverbs 25, 14 says, Whoever falsely boasts of giving is like clouds and wind without rain. It's like it's, su- it's not summer yet, but one day, a couple months, it's going to be super hot, and we're going to want rain. We're going to want a cold spell. Right now, we're like, cold spell, go away. <laughs> Some of you are shaking your heads like, no, it's fine. You know, we were visiting my mom the other day, yesterday, and she had the heater on. <laughs> She's like, it's cold. It's, it's not 85. <laughs> Some people like it hot, I guess. But really, you know, when it's hot, you want the cold front to come in. You know, my AC in my car, I just found out it needs to be charged up again. I want it to be cold the other day, and it's just blowing hot. So I change it. I keep helping. You know, maybe if I play with the knobs, it'll come out cold. But no, you know, it's telling me it's on max, but there's not cold air coming out of it. So it's falsely boasting. You know, Jude 1, 8 through 13 says, Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, this is a weird area of scripture, but we'll get through it, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars of whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. This is Jesus' half-brother talking here. You know, he talks about these false teachers or these people that come in pretending that they know everything or claiming that they know about spiritual things. I rebuke you, demon behind the monitors. You know, I rebuke you, demon in the sound booth. That's not you, James. You know, it's like people that claim to have this, 
power over demons or that there's a demon behind every rock or an enemy power. And, and what does Jude say here? He says, even Michael the archangel. You know, uh, I've been going to Maryland a lot and they have this giant Mormon temple there. The, I don't know if it's Gabriel. I think it's Gabriel. But it's like this 10-foot gold statue of an angel on top of the thing. And I'm like, man, if we just stole that one night and <laughs> you know, use it for God's kingdom instead of Satan's. But really, like the powers and angels that be, they have this picture of this angel up there. But Michael, when we're kind of given a window into something that happened here when Moses died, that Satan wanted Moses' body, who knows, maybe for a pinata, maybe for a false resurrection, some sort of perversion thing as the enemy always wants to do. Even Michael, the archangel, who was kind of dealing with the whole issue, didn't even rebuke Satan. He didn't even get up in Satan's face and go, come on, Satan, get out of here. He said, the Lord rebuke you. This is Michael, the head of the armies, in a sense, of the angels. Didn't rebuke Satan. So why do we mess around with it? Why do we spend any amount of our day rebuking the enemy? I rebuke the spirit of blah, 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 or I rebuke... Oh, say, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. You know, if you're worried about demonic influence, pray. Pray to Jesus. He's the one that they know. He's the one. I mean, yeah, if there's an exorcism in Jesus' name, come out. This stuff is real, guys. But really, you don't need to walk around rebuking every evil spirit because we got better things to worry about. You know, why spend any amount of your life praying to somebody that hates you? You can just pray to Jesus and he'll take care of it. You know, it's like if my daughter has a problem, you know, like uh, with a dog or a cat or another kid, you know, what's the best solution for her? Come get me. Come say, my dad rebuke you. <laughs> Excuse me, what are you doing to my daughter? <laughs> you know, a lot more powerful than her, you know, trying to come out with a sentence and figure out what to say, but go to her dad. But I think it's interesting here, you know, we have this notion of an open door or a closed door in Christianity. And I heard a good thing today about, you know, was, I think it was Dr. Stanley talking about open doors and, you know, if God closes a door on you, then, hey, God didn't want you to be there, and that's good. You know, keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. And I think that's really good advice. But I think also that not every open door is an open door from God. The casino door is open right now. The bar is open right now. The strip club is open right now. The internet's open right now. All this stuff is open. You can go in and you're like, open door. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to go get my 40. No, that's not God. And I think sometimes we apply these same things in less obvious situations and say, oh, there's an opportunity in front of me. It must be for me. You know, uh, when I was working at the last agency I was at before I left end of February, we were looking for a couple of new designers and a programmer and stuff. And people of all ages would come in, young people, old people, uh, you know, every ethnicity, boys, girls. And I noticed one thing that was in common with most of them. You know, we kind of had a, a keypad at the front door so you couldn't get in, but we could see and, you know, they could knock on the door and we'd see through the glass and, you know, have, we had like, we called it the garage door opener because it looked like an old garage door opener and it unlocked the big glass door we had. And they'd walk in and they would just kind of walk into the office and just... And, you know, one of the girls who was closer to the front would say, can I help you? And they would go, uh, is so-and-so here that they're interviewing with? And they go, oh, yes. Uh, what's your name? Et cetera, et cetera. You know, they wouldn't walk in and say, hi, my name is Joe, Joe Schmo. I'm here for a 1030 appointment with, you know, Sam Smith for such and such. There was no introduction. I think people have lost this idea of introducing themselves, saying hello. And I get being afraid on an interview. I've gone on a lot of interviews or really four lately, and, uh, you know, 
I got three job offers, had to turn one down. The other one turned me down, thankfully. But, you know, it was closed door. Thank you, Lord. I don't have to go into D.C. every day. But really, they just came in and there was no, like, conduct. And I go, if, if I'm going to hire you, not that I was, but I would kind of hope that you would say hello and have at least some basic communication skills. Hello, hi, you know, break, telephone, you know, be able to get some words out. Because it goes a long way. First impressions go a long way. You know, and if they brought in a fake resume, they'd get found out eventually. You know, I know how to code all this stuff. And then we go, here, code this. And, <laughs> you know, they're opening up Microsoft Paint and Solitaire. And, <laughs> you know, you know right away, no, well, thank you very much. You know, uh, we're going to continue the interview process and we'll let you know. <laughs> Have a nice day. And they'd probably walk out, not say a word. But really, false teachers are kind of the same way. It's vanity. They don't speak the truth, but whatever gets them an audience. They bring in a false resume. They bring in false pretenses. They come in and introduce themselves like a cloud with lots and lots of rain. But then the wind comes. You're like, oh, great, it's going to rain. My cops are going to grow. My pool's going to be filled up. And the cloud just dissipates and goes away. And there's, you're not left with anything. You're left with the, the letdown of, I was hoping for a good rainstorm today, but nothing came. And false teachers don't speak the truth, like I said, but whatever gets them an audience. You know, the Bible talks about in the last days, many false teachers will come and people will have itching ears and so they'll scratch whatever you want to hear. Whatever you want to hear. Well, what demographic do you want to reach? Okay, well, talk about that stuff. What type of people do you want to attract? Well, do this stuff. You know, there's lots of advice like that for starting a church and that's not the Bible. You know, Jesus just spoke the truth and the people who are interested in the truth came to hear the truth. Because if you're not interested in truth, well, why are you here? You know? Yeah, we do have, you know, free stuff in the cafe, but, <laughs> you know, I don't know, I don't know if that's going to attract everybody. You know, I saw a picture on Facebook a while back about playing this movie at church. And I'm all for using examples to be touch points with people. You know, you've you got to have your doctrine in one hand, but kind of have a method hand that's open so that you can adapt the gospel, you know, not change the gospel, but adapt your method to reach the audience you're at. You know, if you go to Africa, your method is probably going to be different than you're going to, to, like, the inner city. If you go to China, it's probably going to be a little different than going to upstate Vermont because people speak Chinese, people speak English. You, you know, you already have to use a different language, so there's probably a different method as well. But I saw this, and that's not what bothered me. What bothered me was the comments on it. it was, oh, man, I missed blah, 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 movie at church. And I, First of all, I, I've never even seen the movie, and I probably wouldn't see the movie just because of the stuff that's in it. And I'm shocked that they're kind of playing it at church, you know, as part of the message. You know, the whole series is kind of tied into this movie. That's really questionable to watch to begin with. And the comments on it was, oh, bleep, I can't believe I missed it at church. And someone else was like, oh, yeah, it was fantastic. And what bothered me about it was not that they were trying to reach people, was what they were using and the fruit of that. Just like the rain cloud comes and no rain comes out of it, they bring in this movie to try and reach the world, but really what they're doing is bringing the world into church, saying, you guys like to do this worldly stuff, so we're going to do this worldly stuff at church. And the comments only prove that the people didn't care about the message, they only cared about their worldly activity taking place at church. You follow me with that? Where it's like, it's not like I'm using something to illustrate a principle. I'm using something kind of to illustrate a principle, but people 
aren't getting the principle. They're just getting hooked because now we're doing what they like to do in church. The gospel is the message the apostles brought. It should be the message that we bring. When we share with somebody, when we teach the Bible, when we study the Bible, it should be gospel-centered because that's what the whole Bible is. It points to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ dying being resurrected. If the, if the disciples didn't need to turn to any other method but just teaching the truth, then why do we think we need to? Why do we think we need to? And you know why I think the church tries to bring any other message? Because I think the church at large does not believe the gospel. I think the church at large knows the gospel. I think the church at large partially believes the gospel. But I don't know that they put their whole faith in it. Because if they put their whole faith in it, they would be sharing the whole gospel. They wouldn't need to rely on these other things. You know what I mean? You know, if one thing is wrong, I've heard, it's probably not the only thing. It's probably the tip of the iceberg. If you go, yeah, you know, I've gone to Maryland, I've seen a lot of good things, but I'm sure there's other stuff under the surface and drama. There's always drama. Where there's people, there's drama. You know, I can look at my own life. Where I am, I bring drama. (laughs) But when a church starts, when you look at church today and you hear about a church saying XYZ about a doctrine that's completely clear, like marriage between a man and a woman, and a church is ordaining homosexual people, well, I don't really get how they got that wrong, but to me I go... You know, that's not the only thing they've got wrong. I bet you if we dug deeper, a lot of their other core doctrines are messed up. You know, because to get to something that completely, obviously wrong, you must have missed some things um, on the way. But let's go on to verse 2 through 6. You know, that when those false teachers come, we need to weigh everything that's said. You know, when you come to hear a message, whether it's me, definitely weigh everything you say. But when you hear it on the radio or on TV or anywhere, weigh it. Look in the scriptures, like Paul says. Compare it. Say, well, the scripture says this. And you said this, you know, weigh it out, compare it out. But even after we have suffered before, verse 2, and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time do we use flattering words, as you know, nor are cloaked for covetousness. God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, uh, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. He says, boldness and conflict in verse 2. You know, sometimes it takes a hard time for us to get bold. You know, God may disrupt your comfort zone to get you going after what matters. Is that true? I think we all can attest. You know, it's like things get hard. You realize, okay, uh, maybe I need to work more. You know, marriage gets rough. Okay, maybe I need to work less. You know, sometimes it takes a hard situation, a good smack in the face for us to realize, maybe I need to do things a little differently. Or maybe I need to go about things in a better way. And that's certainly true with the gospel. The gospel flourishes where there's hard times. Look at China. Look at church history. You know, look at America. We've had such plenty, and the gospel's kind of feathered out and fizzled out. And yeah, there's, you know, you guys and other good churches in the country. But as a whole, you know, what's really happened to Christianity in America? It's kind of, you know, people would rather elect a Mormon than elect a Christian. And that's really telling. You know, a commentator talks about these charges against Paul. And we're going to run through them real quick because I think it's valuable. 
It says, Paul has a police record and is therefore untrustworthy, 2 verse 2. Paul is delusional, 2 verse 3. Paul's ministry is based on impure motives, 2 verse 3. Paul deliberately deceives others, 2 verse 3. Paul preaches to please others, not God, verse 4. Paul is, the, is in the ministry as a mercenary to get what he can out of it materially, verse 5 and verse 9. Paul only wants personal glory, verse 6, and Paul is something of a dictator, verse 7. And these are all things that this commentator says that it appears that Paul is answering to, these accusations against him. And that's true. When you begin to teach the truth and spread the truth, people will begin to accuse you for all sorts of things. And maybe some of them are true, because we're messed up. But probably they're not. Probably a majority of them are not. Probably they just don't like your message. It says that they were spitefully treated at Philippi. When they had laid many stripes upon them, Acts says, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. You know, they charged them. They charged them for what? Preaching the gospel. The religious people got mad when the disciples, the apostles were out sharing the gospel. You know, people will say all sorts of things about you. People do anyway. But when you start living for what's right and sharing what's right, they're certainly going to come after you because it's a battleground. We're not in heaven, guys. We're in enemy territory. You know, it's like you begin sharing a patriotic email, you might get on the NSA's list. I have friends, that's true. But Jesus was called insane by his family. He was called a drunkard, a demon-possessed, the devil himself, etc. And this is Jesus we're talking about. Jesus' family called him insane. Don't be surprised when your relatives call you a, you know, a nut, a nut job or whatever. I don't know what the term would be. I mean, when I first got saved, I started going to church. My family said, you're in a cult. I said, hello, you guys claim to be Christians. Have you read your Bible? <laughs> this is church. You know, expect that conflict, again, because we're in enemy territory. You know, exhortation, verse 3, for our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. This word is actually cool. It's paraclesis. It's a calling near, a summons, exhortation, admonition, encouragement, or a stirring address. You know, in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete, the one who comes alongside. And this exhortation, this message that Paul brought is a message that came alongside the believers and strengthened them. And good teaching should be the same way. Good teaching should strengthen you. Yeah, it may hurt. It may put you in a direction that you don't want to go in or make you face something that we don't want to face. But it's always going to encourage you to go forward in the Lord. It's never going to condemn you and tell you, no, you're not worthy. It might say you're not worthy, but Jesus is worthy. But no, you're not worthy. You need to stay in the pew, never do anything the rest of your life. God can't use you. Because that's a lie. God can use you. God wants to use you. Especially when you know you're broken. Because then you're in a place where you're willing to let God do what God needs to do. But it was a stirring address. I think it's interesting because... When I first was studying this, it was around the time of the State of Union Address, and I read this news article that talked about how viewership is declining steeply for the State of Union Address. God bless you. And I'm like, no kidding! Because all they do is they come in with this big cloud, like rain, and it's all lies. They rain all these lies down, blah, 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 through their teeth, smiling at you. Oh, yay! <laughs> yeah, that was a great lie. Good job. I don't know how you're going to get away with that one. <laughs> and that's why no one watches it. I bet you if a leader came out and began to speak the truth, people would probably start to watch. You know, false, false teachers will rebuke you. They'll encourage you in deceit. Their sin will have them judge you. Their sin will have them encourage you in your sin. 
whether they're outright encouraging your sin or just their lifestyle of sin, you know, like if it's it's sad to say, but you know, you look at a leader, and if a leader watches a PG movie, then somebody somewhere is going to say, "Oh, well, if the pastor can watch a PG movie, I can watch an R-rated movie, no problem." It's like this weird paradigm that if someone held in esteem, you know, the like a proverb says, um, someone who's held in esteem does a little folly. It's like you know, the perfume's gone bad. Something there's a fly in the perfume. You know, when a leader does something that's just a little bit off, people use that as an excuse to go completely off. But false teachers, they'll rebuke you and they'll encourage you in deceit. They'll lie to you. Say, oh, no, it's okay for you to do that sin. God understands. You're just Italian. (laughs) God understands. You're whatever the case may be. And they encourage you in that because, really, they've been deceived. You know, and they're going to deceive you because they're justifying their own sin. Of course they're going to justify your sin. I think that's why we have a problem a lot of times is because we're aware of our sin and we know what our sin is. It's hard for us to talk to others about their sin. But the Bible says all we have to do is bring that to the Lord and let the Lord deal with it. You know, take the plank out of our own eye and then we can deal with the speck in our brother's eyes. I don't know if I get there in the rest of this, but a lot of false teachers, there's a perversion there. There's usually a sexual perversion there. Somewhere deep down, whether they realize it or not, when they're spinning a heresy at you, a lot of times there's a sexual nature to it. Somewhere. You follow, you follow the doctrine long enough and you're going to find some rationalization for some behavior. And really at the end of it, it's the same advice that the world tells you. Because if it's a false teaching and it's the doctrine of demons as the Bible talks about, well, it's not the Bible. And the world is certainly not giving you biblical advice. You know, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and all, these false, all the false prophets that they were among, you know, they weren't false prophets, but they were among them, you know, for Babylon in 70 years. You know, there's a lot of false prophets saying, oh, captivity's not going to come. Oh, we're fine. We can keep doing what we want. No, no. Yeah, I know they have a big army. Yeah, I know we're making a nuke deal with them. Yeah, but they're not going to do this. They're not going to do that. False prophets. They were taken away in captivity because of their sin. Ezekiel 6.10 says, And they shall know that I'm the Lord, and I have not said in vain that I would bring this calamity upon them. God says, okay, you don't believe the true prophets that say calamity is coming. Well, now I'm going to let the calamity come upon you so that you know that I'm the true God. And that's the same way in our lives. God is very gracious with us. When we go out and do something, we do something wrong, God doesn't just go and beat us over the head. He also doesn't you know, give us 10 extra bucks to go keep doing that. He lets our money run out. He lets our whatever run out that as he's convicting us, saying, no, please stop. I don't want to judge you for this, but this is wrong. Don't do that again. All right, I'm going to have to do something about it now. And then when that calamity comes, we go, wow, it really was God. I should have listened. Or do we rebel? Do we harden our hearts and go, I can't believe God would do this to me. I've done, really? Has God really done it to you? Or has God allowed it to you? You know, I heard a good saying the other day that, you know, when we go through a hard times, um, maybe it's God causing us to unlearn something. It's not a hard time for us to learn something, but to unlearn something. And I find so often in my life that's the case. Oh, yeah, I should do my taxes on time or whatever it is, you know, when we run into calamities. But verse 4, we've gone a long way in 27 minutes, says, approved by God. But as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. That they were approved by God for the gospel. That for some reason, God chose these guys to spread the gospel. Paul, a murderer. No, Paul, I'm sorry. You can't serve in the media ministry. You went to jail before. (laughs) 
Paul, a guy who spreads the gospel, who plants a lot of churches. You know, God's entrusted the gospel to you and me. And I like that he says it's entrusted because that means it's, it's valuable, it's important, and more than that, it's the power of God. That God has entrusted the power of God to these guys, but he's also entrusted it to you and me. And I say, what are we doing with this power of God? Is it sitting on a shelf? Are we kind of afraid to deal with it? Or are we saying, yeah, not God, I know you've entrusted me with this. Help me to live the way I should live. Help me to share the way I should share. <laughs> so many weird examples out there. I'll share it, I guess, because it's just so unbelievable and I think it's funny. But I saw this video and it was like, it's so sad. You know, the stuff that makes it to the front page on YouTube, at least as far as Christianity and stuff, is like the craziest stuff. There's a video of this, pa- you know, I'm going to go, video of this pastor talking about youth group. And basically he said this kid was a troublemaker and the kid needed to repent. And he's like, so I just went up and I punched him. And he fell on the ground and I got in his face and he repented and came to the Lord. I go, excuse me? <laughs> no one filed charges against you for beating their child at church? Oh, believe me, he wouldn't even have to go to the police if he punched my kids. <laughs> I'd be going to jail. But really... That's the Spirit of God punching the kid. Of course the kid repented. He's got a, a guy who just punched him at church, screaming in his face, yeah, I repent, of course. And these people are like, yeah, this is it. No, no, false. But how can you tell they are false teachers? Quite easily. They are, you know, I'm sorry. How can you tell a, a true teacher? Quite easily. They, they aren't trying to please men, but God. A true teacher is going to tell you what they need to tell you, whether you like it or not. They may be like, oh, you know, I feel like God's got to say this to you. <laughs> but really, that's it. Because the false teacher will be your yes man. Yes, do that. Yes, do that. Oh, it's okay. God will forgive you. Okay. But a true teacher is going to say, well, you need to do that. And yeah, I know you might leave the church, or you might not talk to me, or you might post bad things about me on Facebook, or blah, blah, blah. But it's the truth. You know, how important it is to please God, and how important it is to please God, especially when we bring the gospel. You know, it's important to please God in our lives. Living by faith pleases God. But when we share the gospel, you know, obviously it's a learned thing. I remember sharing with my friends when I first got saved and I look back and go, oh, I wouldn't have done it any other way, but that's the way God intended it. You just get saved, you know, you don't know any better. Good. Maybe I'd be too afraid to share the truth exactly the way I shared with them then you know i'm not going to turn there for time but read acts 5 24 through 33 later as a refresher about how the apostles shared the gospel and that's simply what they did you know luke 12 4 through 5 jesus says and i say to you my friends do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do but i will show you whom you should fear fear him who after he is killed has power to cast into hell yes i say to you fear him man can only kill you God can let you die or kill you. And then he can say, well, you didn't choose me or you chose me. You're going to hell or you're not going to hell. I'd rather fear the guy who's going to give me eternal life. But you know, Thessalonians, we're going to look at it, talks about the great falling away. The church is falling away from the truth. And that's the sign that's the last days, that there's this great falling away. Believers are turning aside to strange things these days. You know, I just shared a couple of them. There's a million more out there. I'm sure you know them or you've even been presented with them or your friends have fallen away to them but it's the last days and that's apostasy that's the abandonment 
or renunciation of a religious or political belief. It's saying, yeah, I used to believe that, but not anymore. It's saying, yeah, the Bible says that, but it's 2015, guys. We've got to modern it up a little bit. But that's apostasy instead of apostles, you see? That's my John Corson impression. Apostasy instead of apostles, you see? That people, instead of teaching the doctrine of the apostles, are now teaching the doctrine of apostasy. You know, the emergent church. Why do you want to emerge from church? Yeah, maybe you don't want to wear the dorky clothes and listen to Jesus is a friend of mine anymore. But what are they really emerging from? They're really emerging from the gospel. And I don't want to do that. Yeah, keep the music, quote-unquote, relevant. Yeah, keep the stories relevant and all that stuff. But don't leave the gospel. You know, um, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. We're not going to read it. I'm just going to read a, a, a verse. It says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. The day when the Antichrist is revealed and you know the rapture happens, that there's going to be this falling away that happens first. And it's happening now. And we see all the players in the Middle East lining up. We see all these other things coming to be. And it's like, well, it's the last days, guys. Jesus can come back literally at any moment now. There's really not too much left that has to happen. But it's interesting, you know, the Holy Spirit is holding back this time. He's the reason we're not all completely deceived. You know, the Bible even says that the last days were shortened, even the elect would be deceived. And when the Holy Spirit leaves, we're going with him. But you know how bad it is now? You know how many lies are out there now and people believe, believe them, uh, even in the church? You know, you know how bad it is on the throughway right now? Wait until the Holy Spirit leaves. Good night. <laughs> You're going to want a full Geico policy, I think. You know, Second Timothy talks about last days, perilous times will come for men who are lovers themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, etc. It says they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. You know, they're disapproved. False teachers are disapproved for the gospel. Paul and the gang, they were approved, but false teachers disapproved. And false teachers try and pile approvement on themselves. I have all these degrees. I have the suit. I have a jet. I'm on TV. I must be telling you the truth. I have a nice big smile and perfect teeth and I hold my Bible up. I must be telling you the truth. No. False teachers also want your money. Their covetousness is cloaked by their message. You know, it's funny. Like, I was flipping on the TV late night one night. There was actually, and it was stopped on this one uh, Christian station. And right away, before I even got a word out of his mouth, I knew the message was about money. And the first, you know, a couple sentences, I was like, I'm just going to watch. Come on, Ash, let's just watch and just see what kind of a train wreck this is. And it's sad in one sense, but on the other hand, I'm like, it's so easy to pick up on. As he's sharing, he's sharing gospel truths, but underneath it, you just get this sense that there's this ulterior motive. And then there it comes, your business. Your business is going to prosper. And it's like, oh, good night. You know, like six million for a new jet to what? Spread the gospel? No, to move a self-righteous man around the country. Paul didn't need a jet. And look at how much he spread the gospel. So why does this one guy need a jet to go back and forth between two cities? I don't know. Let's go on. 7 through 9. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. We see a stark contrast in those verses already. 
says that they're gentle as a nursing mother. I think of my wife and our two kids and how gentle she is with them and just, you know, caring and loving and, you know, in the middle of the night, making sure that they're fed. And that's the way a real teacher, a real pastor is going to be with you or a leader or someone who loves you is going to be gentle with you. Even when they have to share something hard with you, yeah, they may be angry or they may be a, a tough message and maybe, they, maybe it comes off wrong in the first place and they give you a hug afterwards, but their goal is gentleness with you. Man, bro, this is not good for you to be doing. You know, I know when I'm disciplining my kids right and wrong because I know when there's a spirit of gentleness and when there's not. And that's the same way with a true teacher, that there's going to be gentleness, cherishing, affectionality. You know, you're going to feel it. You're going to know they care about you when they give you a good message and a bad message. They're going to know they don't care about your money or anything like that. You know, true teachers care about you genuinely, gently, watching over you, feeding you. You know, you gently, you know, I don't like throw a peanut butter and jelly at my daughter unless I want to have fun with her. You know, here you go, Mia, let's pray and let's eat. And oh, choo, 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 don't take too much at a time. I want you to choke. You know, First Peter 2, 2 says, As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You know, are you being fed? What are you being fed? Are you growing? And really, what are you growing? What's popping out of your life based on the doctrines that you've held on to? You know, what sort of fruit is growing out of your life based on what you believe and what your time with the Lord is like? You know, that's the true test of what you're being, what you're being fed. And all growth is not healthy growth. You know, just like we had that cheesecake last week. We could eat all that cheesecake. It's my wife and I's anniversary. I've been trying to eat healthy, but we went out last night. We had a gift card, and someone gave us some money. So we're like, let's just get everything. <laughs> and the waiter, you know, the waiter was like, yes. <laughs> but really, we ate all this food. And that wasn't healthy growth. Yeah, healthy, my wife and I grew together in conversation. But man, I'm still feeling it today. You know, just because something is growing doesn't mean it's healthy. You know, are we growing in grace or are we growing in girth? You know, you look at churches that grow, it's good maybe that they're growing, but really, how are they growing and why are they growing? But the apostles, they not only brought them the gospel, but they were willing to lay down their lives. And Jesus says, he's the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling flees when he sees a wolf coming. It's true. A good teacher, a good pastor, when there's trouble coming, they run. They get between you and the trouble, no matter what the cost. But a bad teacher, someone who has their priorities misaligned, will run when they see problems coming. You know, who lays down their life for you? Who lays down your life for you? Who do you lay your life down? And, and do you see leadership doing that for you? Because if you don't, well, they're probably not the people you want to lead you. And who would you give your life for the gospel? You know, the call to missions often comes as we begin to pray or after we start sharing the gospel. You know, God will begin to lay something on your heart to pray about. And like I've heard it said recently, it's because he wants to answer that prayer and wants you to see the answer to that prayer. You know, God began to give me a broken heart for this nation, to pray for this nation. And it's funny, where does God call us to? Pretty much the nation's capital. Last place on earth I thought I would go, but God began to break our heart for it. And Someone even gave me a Patriots Bible like a year ago, and I was like, ha, 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 you don't even know why, this is funny. <laughs> you know, Paul says, verse 9, laboring night and day to not be a burden. You know, Paul's a tent maker. Paul could have come in and said, hey, look, guys, I'm Paul. I'm the next apostle. I've been spreading the gospel. You know, I used to kill you guys. I'm not going to kill you anymore. So, 
how about you guys give me a love offering and that way I don't have to work and I can just minister to you all the time? No. I mean, Paul could have technically done that and it probably would have been okay for him to take that money and to live because, you know, he says that not to muzzle out the ox as it treads out the grain, the Bible says. But what does Paul say? He says, I don't want to be a burden to any one of you, so I'm going to go work two jobs. I'm going to do whatever it takes so that you don't feel the burden to give to support me. And that's a true teacher, willing to go the extra mile to pay their own way because they're not in it for the money. You know, if you're in the ministry for the money, well, first of all, <laughs> there's much easier ways to make money. Make a lot more money faster. If you're in the ministry for money, you'll probably find out real quickly there isn't very much. But that's okay because it doesn't matter. You know, false teachers don't want to work. They want you to pay for their stay. You know, sometimes there's a Christian band or somebody that will get in touch with the church and they'll say, hey, brother so-and-so, we're a Christian band. You know, it's only $5,000. Why don't you book us? And people will come to your church. And Sorry. But if there's a Christian band who's willing to come and we invite them, Absolutely. Oh, and they're like, no, 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 you don't need to pay. Absolutely pay. When pastors come, we give them an honorarium. They don't ask for it. It's because, hey, you came and fed the flock. Well, of course we're going to take care of you. Because that's love. Let's go on, 10 through 12. You know, be wary. Just be wary, guys, because there's a lot of false teachers out there. 10 says, You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behave ourselves among you who believe, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You know, can we say these things? Are we confident in how well we've behaved to say these things legitimately? To be honest, I'm scared to. I don't know if I could legitimately stand up here and say, you know how great a Christian I've been in all your presence? I don't know. In fact, I know otherwise. I know otherwise. Yeah, God is gracious. And yet Paul and these guys can say, look at us, guys. Have we done anything really wrong in your presence? It says they exhorted, they comforted, they charged as a father. And I love my kids. I love being a father. I love being a dad. I want, you know, I want to have more kids. It's just fantastic being someone's dad. I mean, maybe the flip side of the coin is not that good, <laughs> having me for a dad. But really... I love them, and I want to exhort them, and I want them to go in the, in, the, in the right way. That's my goal as a dad, that they would walk in the right direction. You know, Third John 1.4, the Apostle John writes to the church, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And I want nothing more than to hear that my kids do well. And a good pastor, a good leader, is going to want nothing more than to hear that you guys walk in truth. You know, I, you know the Lord continues to bring us to Maryland and everything and do work down there through us. And we get to watch it and see what happens. I want nothing more than to come back and visit or get a letter or get an email and hear about what God is doing through each and every one of you. That you guys are all in this room, you know, unless the Lord calls you elsewhere, 10 years from now. And that you're growing. And that you're healthy. And I believe that, you know, seeing the faces I see in this room, that you guys are. Because you love the Lord. And that's the one you're following. But like... Is Paul talks about the Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Don't let anyone bewitch you. Don't let anyone deceive you. And the way you do that is by staying close to the Lord and staying in His Word that you might know this is true and this is not true. You know, we don't need to study all the false doctrine. We just need to study the Apostles' doctrine. He says that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom of glory. You know, God is calling you. God is calling you and me. Will we answer? 
will we answer? You know, I get a lot of phone calls lately because my number is out on, like, job sites and everything. And sometimes I just don't pick them up because I know the area, if the area code is not like D.C., I don't pick up because I get weird calls. How about a six-month contract in Oregon? <laughs> no, no thanks. You know, I get the same email, and it's just, you know, spam job hunters. But really, when God calls us, do we answer it? And we go, God's like, hey, I want you to go share. I want you to give, or I want you to, to do this and pray, or I want you to read more. Do we answer, or do we say, I'll get to it later? You know, and maybe we need to check our motives and say, well, maybe God does want to use you. Maybe God does want to use you in Newburgh and share the gospel. Maybe God does want to use you to be here on, God bless you, Wednesday night or a Sunday morning for nothing else than to get fed and to rest and encourage the person next to you because we are the church. But will we answer? And will we walk worthy of that call? Because just like we've seen false teachers or we've seen people like we talked about on Sunday who carry the gospel but their life just doesn't really match up and so you don't want to eat that. You're like, I don't know. I know what the kitchen looks like. I don't want to eat that hot dog. (laughs) But will we walk worthy of it? Because God's called each of us into a holy life. We need to walk worthy of it. And that's not a work to be made right in His sight, but that's because we're right. We should live right. Let's go on and see if we can get through a couple more verses here in a couple minutes. We're going to read 13 through 16. Uh, For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they do not please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. It says in verse 13, For this reason, you know, they're walking in faith. Because the Thessalonians are walking in faith, Paul is always thanking God for them. Always. And man, isn't it easy to pray for someone when they're walking right? Lord, thank you for that person. Thank you for the blessing they've been in my life. Thank you for the example. Thank you for using them. But man, isn't it hard when uh, it's like your family member or a friend or maybe even you know someone you really care about? And oh Lord, you know it's almost like it's such a burden you almost don't want to deal with it sometimes. But he says that you know he has lots of reasons to thank God without ceasing, and I think we do too. We have a lot of reasons. We have a lot of reasons to thank God. But he says here that they uh, you heard it from us. In verse 13, uh, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe, that they took it not as the word of men, but the word of God. And like we talked about, 66 books, 40 authors, one truth, one inspiration, that's God himself. You know, there's lots of words of men out there. There's lots of so-called holy books. But there's only one that is truly holy. And that word holy is separate, different, called out, called to be a part. That's the Holy Bible. Only one book talks about salvation through Jesus Christ, salvation from God. Every other book, every other doctrine says you can make yourself better. You can evolve into God. There's only one truth. Ecclesiastes 12.14, I read it today. It said, The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. You know, the Bible is written by God himself. And when we listen to a message, are we listening for the voice of God? 
yeah, you hear my nasally voice tonight, and yeah, maybe some things came out that are from God, maybe some things came out that were from me. But when we listen, are we genuinely seeking God in the message? Are we, Lord, please speak to me tonight. Please show me something. Please answer a question that I have. Or do we just take it as the voice of a man? Oh, that was just that guy, Tim, just sharing. And yeah, it was just that guy sharing. But really, through it all, maybe God spoke tonight. I hope he did. I pray he did. Otherwise, it's pointless for us to be here if he doesn't. But he says that they're imitators. That it's good to imitate a good example, example and my made-up word for the night, and unimitate a bad one. You know, you see a good example, we should imitate it. You know, you see, you know, if you want to get in shape, you know, you look for the guy who's in the best shape and you begin to imitate their workout and you go, no way, I can't do this. Let me go watch TV. Or you don't want to imitate, you know, you put on cops and you go, okay, <laughs> I don't want to run from the cops. I don't want to have that paraphernalia in my pocket. <laughs> you know, like you don't want to do the things that bad examples do. That's a good thing. It's okay to have good examples. It's okay to imitate them. It's okay. It's good to. It's how we learn. But know that, you know, because we're all different, God's grace is going to work itself out in your life. A little bit different, it's going to work itself out in my life. Our lives are not going to be cookie cutter. We're not all going to go, go through the same exact experiences. But again, like we talked about, the, goal, the end goal is the same. Sanctification is being made holy. is being, um, you know, surviving to heaven. You know, verse 15 says, They killed Jesus, their own prophets. They persecuted disciples, the apostles, and the church. You know, Jesus said in John fifteen eighteen, if the world hates you, you know they hated me before you. You know, these people don't please God. The people who hate you, who revile you, who say bad things about you because you're a Christian. And don't get me wrong, for thing, they say bad things about you for stuff that's not bad. They don't say bad things about you because you cut them off in traffic or I cut them off in traffic. But that doesn't please God. Even if they think they're pleasing God. Oh, we're tolerant and oh, it's great and oh, all this stuff. We're being righteous and you guys are bigots. That doesn't please God. John 16, 1-3 says, These things I have spoken to you, Jesus says, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God a service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. Look at persecution today in China and with Islam, with the left. You know, I saw a cartoon the other day of um, a bakery and it said it was in like uh, Saudi, you know, an Islamic country, and they had an Islam guy that said, you know, uh, convert or die. And then they showed, and the other one was, it's a little off color, the comic, a bakery in America, and it's someone with, on the back of the shirt, it says LGBT, and they say convert or die. Or lose everything, that's what it was. Convert or lose everything. It's the same. It's the same. It's persecution. I mean, granted, being sued and having your head chopped off for completely different things, but it's coming here. And it says here at the end in 16, it says, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. You know, forbidding someone to speak the gospel is like putting a stopper in the drain. Their lives will continually be filled with sin, and they will encounter God's wrath by default. They've rejected and prevented the gospel. You know, there's people out there today that don't want you to teach the gospel. No, you can't share that. No can't share that but that's the gospel no matter what they say we need to share it we need to share it let's go on i know we've gone pretty long so far but let's do these last few verses 17 17 through 20 but we brethren having been taken away from you for a short time in presence 
not in heart, endeavor more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. You know, there is spiritual warfare, like we touched on before with the verses in Jude. It says that Satan hindered them. Satan hindered Paul. Satan and his minions are going to hinder you. When you step out and do what God has asked you to do, things are going to begin to fall apart. Things aren't going to go the way you planned. You know, and that's definitely a time to pray and say, God, am I doing the right thing? Like I shared on Sunday a couple weeks ago, when the jobs hadn't come together yet, other things had kind of blown up, and I'm going, God, am I even doing the right thing? And God goes, can't you just wait on me? And now all these things are starting to come together. And it's like, well, physically it looked like a disaster, but spiritually God kept saying, this is the right way to go. This is the right way to go. You know, and when you step out to do what God wants you to do, why wouldn't you expect resistance? The world has nothing to do with that. You know, when you're going to go do the right thing, it's hard. It's hard even internal resistance. Oh, I don't want to say that. <laughs> oh, I could lose my job. Or, oh, what are they going to think? Or, oh. But really, we need to go. Verse 19, he talks about true crowns. True crowns. He says, um, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? That a true teacher like Paul... His reward was seeing the people live rightly, seeing the people rejoicing in Jesus, and seeing the people surviving towards heaven. That when Jesus returned, hey, you're here. You're still here. You're still here. You're still here. We're going to heaven together. It's not, oh, I remember how much you tithed, and I remember how much you did for me, or I took from you, or how much you know you patted me on the back. It's that people are doing well, and a real teacher is going to be concerned. That primary concern should be, how are you doing with the Lord? You know, people, challenge, people in my life that I look up to challenge me with that sometimes. Like, so what is the Lord speaking to you about? What is the Lord ministering to you? What are you reading about? And I try and do that to others sometimes too. Like, hey, what is God speaking to you about? Not to test them. Hey, you know, have you been reading today? And I'm going to show how more spiritual I am than you. Because it's not true. But really, hey, I, I want to make sure you're okay. And on top of that, it always leads to a good conversation. And we, I always find myself getting strengthened by the things that people share. And that's when we get to heaven, guys. The true crowns are not, well, I mean, yeah, it's good to vacuum the church. It's good to, you know, pay your taxes. It's good to do all these other things that are right, and we should do them. In a sense, there may be a crown for those things. But the true crowns is getting to heaven and go, you're here. And they go, yeah, because you shared me that one time. Or, yeah, because you were praying for me. Or, yeah, because you just loved me that time when I needed it. That's a true crown. When we get to heaven, we're not going to care about any of this. We're only going to care about what matters and what really matters to God is you and me. You know, I was in here before. And I'm going, man, like, and this room was empty. I was like, man, I've cared way too much about the stuff in this room and not the people in this room. It's easy to get caught up in that and forget that the people are what's important. Because if the stuff in all this room is all perfect, the paint's perfect, the carpet's perfect, the sound system's perfect and updated, but it's empty, what's the point? We're what's important, guys. Third John one four again. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And that's all Jesus wants from you, is that you would walk in his truth. Amen? God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, God, that your word is true. And God, you're the true teacher, the good shepherd. And we pray that, God, all of us, God, would follow you to the end. And that wherever which way any of us go, that we would always be going with you. 
and when we hear reports from other people in this room and in our fellowship, that it would be good. That even when they go through something hard, even if they backslide, but that they would return to you. I pray you would bless this body and draw us close to you. And uh, God, would you continue to provide for us? We know you will. But Lord, um, help us to be faithful to you. And would you please come soon and help us to be um, on guard against anything that would separate us from you. And we know that your word says nothing can. So help us not to let anything in that you wouldn't let in. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.